0: Knowing Jesus is the best gift that any person can receive, that we've encountered him as the best thing that's happened in our lives, and making him known by our word and deeds is our greatest joy.
1: Ave Maria Radio presents Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. He's a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit and is currently the executive director of a nonprofit organization called Acts 29 which exists to work with pastors and their teams to transform their parish culture and reclaim the church's missionary identity. He was ordained in 1996. On this edition of Christ is the Answer, we conclude the 2016 Our Lady of Good Counsel Parish mission. In each of the evenings, over a thousand Christians from Our Lady of Good Counsel Parish and others nearby all but filled the darkened worship space. Each evening began with music and a personal testimony.
2: Growing up I was Catholic in name only. I never went to church on Sunday. I had no prayer life, no real faith, and no relationship with Christ. At 19, I met my wife, and everything changed. She was deeply faithful, and that faith infected me. I began attending church regularly, and at 21, she was my sponsor for my first communion and confirmation. I was on fire for a time, but like the seed sown onto rock, I had no deep roots, and soon the fire began to burn out. After we were married, I eventually went back to my old ways. Despite the fact God had blessed me with every gift imaginable, a wonderful wife, four great kids, good health, and a great job, I lost my faith and my way. During that time, I was miserable and angry. I had a hole in my heart. I tried to fill with things. Like the prodigal son, I was squandering my gifts and leading a life of sin and shame. For much of our marriage, I was a terrible husband and a poor excuse for a father. The sacrament of marriage for me had become like the other sacraments, a meaningless exercise. I was just barely going through the motions. Ultimately, after our children had grown, I stopped going to church altogether, leaving my wife to attend alone. During
3: this time of searching in my life, I was constantly praying and asking God to help me, to guide me the way he wanted me to travel. I decided after being at another local parish for 23 years to come and see what was going on at Our Lady of Good Council. Good counsel was the parish my parents had attended until their deaths, and also my sister and her family. The first Mass I attended, I had Father John Ricardo as our celebrant. His homily was about his fear that the importance of Eucharist was being lost in Mass, and that the homily was becoming more important, and people were now pre-shopping. I thought he was, of course, talking directly to me, so I hightailed it back to our parish. I tried for six more months and decided to take the jump. I was searching. I was looking for some answers. I was looking for guidance. With my children grown and dealing with a difficult marriage, I needed to find that spiritual home I was not getting from our current church. What joy I found in this parish. How welcoming this parish was. I was searching for a new home and I found one. I shared with my husband how much I enjoyed this church and did my best to get him into the pew with me. However, like everything else in our life that had any real meaning, he wanted nothing to do with it.
2: I was injured in an accident and temporarily crippled. During a series of events that followed that injury, God made me see over the next months the realities of my life and my poor choices. He made me see the damage I had done to my family and my relationship with my wife. What had become clear was i had abandoned the two people that loved me the most and never left my side, God and my wife. I returned to church, attending Mass regularly with my wife here at Good Counsel. My conversion experience also culminated here at one of those Masses. As I looked up at the gold letters in I Thirst for You, I saw my initials, RST, in Thirst, glowing brightly, along with the letters in You. God was calling me out, RST, You, RST, you. Over the past four years
3: at this parish, we have grown together as a couple. We have prayed on many occasions with the prayer group offered after Mass. We have gone through Alpha together. We are involved in ministries offered at the church. We have taken advantage of so many things offered at our new home, which has in turn allowed us to become closer to each other and closer to God. Our newfound ability to worship together and our ability to be able to walk talk about and share our faith with others has been returned to us tenfold. Our future daughter-in-law is being baptized and confirmed at the Easter Vigil this year. Our daughter is involved in CYO, and another marriage in our family will be taking place here in October for our son. We are grateful for all the gifts we have received and hope to continue to offer our gifts in the future.
2: Our witness is one of hope. We have traveled a long way to get to this spot and with so much further to go. We have found this trip to be so much better traveled together. God never gave up on me and did not allow my wife to give up on me either. I am far from a perfect husband, but our marriage is strong and getting stronger every day. Like the other sacraments, marriage is a gift from God that must be celebrated and cherished.
3: Our Lady of Good Counsel was a turning point for us. It gave us a chance to start over. Together we are stronger. Faith has made us stronger. Faith has made all things possible.
1: After the parishioner testimony, Father Ricardo stepped from the darkness. Here is Father John Ricardo with the third and final talk of his 2016 parish mission entitled, Will We Let Him Use Us as Vessels of Mercy? Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy
0: Spirit. Father, what can we give back to you for all the blessings that you have so graciously poured out on us? How do we possibly find the words to say thank you? Father, we praise you for the people who are here in this church tonight, for the people who have brought us to faith, for the examples of parents and siblings and co-workers and parishioners and all those people that you've put in our paths constantly throughout our lives who have shown us the face of your Son, the face of mercy. Father, we praise you again tonight in a particular way for the great gift of your forgiveness in our lives that you haven't forgiven us once or twice or five times, but thousands and thousands of times. Lord, even as you've been so gracious in showing your mercy to us, we don't want it to be damned up inside of us, especially in this year of mercy that your servant Francis has called for. We pray that you would move amongst us here tonight in a very powerful way that you would Rouse us to let the mercy that we have received flow out from us unto those around us and especially unto those for whom we have less than upright thoughts, those who've heard us. We pray over and over again every day, asking you to forgive us as we forgive. We pray for the grace tonight to take those words to heart. We pray for your spirit to soften our hearts, to be overwhelmed by the cross of your son and all that he's done for us and to be eager to share that same mercy and that same salvation with others. So again tonight, Father, drench this place with your spirit, move amongst us, tap us on the shoulder, whisper to us, inspire us and give us grace to do whatever it is that you're asking us to do. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Evening, everybody. Gosh, I just really want to thank all the people who've stepped forward to be willing to share their testimonies. I mentioned it last night, or maybe Sunday. I always find that to just be one of the most inspiring parts about the mission, for me personally anyway, is just um, the willingness of people to be vulnerable. Some of us had a chance to go down to Memphis uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we were only there for two nights. It seemed like we were there for about a month mainly because we didn't sleep. It was just a tremendously rich time of meeting people, three of whom we'd met briefly before, the rest of whom we'd never met before. But it comes to mind again tonight just because in this really brief time that we had together, the sharing and the time that we had to be with one another was, as they say down there, it was life on life. It was very real. There were no facades, there were no masks. I mean, people were just talking about what they're dealing with and It wasn't simply beautiful, it was really inspiring and encouraging, and it kind of made me come home and just resolve to never want to go back to being plastic. So I thank all the people who've been willing to share, because it's uh, what the body of Christ is supposed to be about. We're supposed to be able to be comfortable with each other. Goodness knows you know I'm not perfect, and I know you're not either. Therefore, we can just get on to reality. I'm going to ask you to do something as we start. I just think there's a real grace tonight that God wants to do... Tonight's a little bit more difficult. It's going to be a little bit more personal for you and me. And it will be a lot more demanding in what it is that God's asking. I hate it when people say this to me, but close your eyes. I want you to ask the Lord to put someone in your vision right now that you're angry with. Someone that you're bitter towards. Someone you got a grudge against. Someone who's wronged you, hurt you badly. Might be your husband might be your wife might be a son or a daughter or a mother or a father might be somebody at work might be somebody in the parish might be me i want to ask you to ask the lord to keep that person just kind of fixed in your vision tonight almost with one eye on whoever that person might be and one eye on the cross of jesus i want to encourage us because it's not just you who are doing this i want to encourage us to ask the lord to give us an overwhelming desire to forgive and to free that person and to be free ourselves. So the question tonight is, you can open your eyes, the question tonight is, will we let him, Jesus, use us as vessels of mercy? So somebody, he's the founder of the Neocatechumen, it's a movement that began in Spain, his name's Kiko Arguello Arguello, He was doing missionary work in the slums of Madrid, I think it was, and remarkable things started happening. And after weeks and months of seeing wholesale conversions amongst uh, people who were drug lords and prostitutes and various degrees of criminals and whatnot, the Archbishop of Madrid called him into his office and asked him, What in the world are you doing? And how is it working? And Arguello sat down with the Archbishop and he said something to this effect. He says... I have come to realize that the world needs signs of faith that do not require faith. In other words, things that people who don't believe in God, when they see something exemplified, they scratch their heads and go, only God can enable that to happen. And he says the first and most significant sign of faith that does not require faith is mercy. Forgiveness is not difficult and forgiveness is not challenging And forgiveness is not hard. Forgiveness is impossible, at least on our own. If you don't know that, then somehow at this point in your life, you've been spared being really wronged by somebody. But if you closed your eyes and I asked that question and somebody immediately came to mind, then you know otherwise. There is nothing, I don't think, more difficult to do in life than to forgive somebody who has really hurt us. The gospel seems so beautiful until you actually have an enemy. And then it doesn't seem beautiful at all. Then it seems laughable and ridiculous and way too demanding. So I want to look at this theme with us tonight. Let's back up, though. I want to just soak in scripture for a few minutes, actually much of the night, much like we did last night, but all about this topic of mercy, both what God has done for us and what it is that he's telling us to do. So let's just go back to Luke 19. There's something in here that's caught my eye in a particular way yesterday as I was praying with it that has kind of led to the theme tonight. So our text for the week and the place where the title comes from for the mission is this story of Zacchaeus again in Luke chapter 19. And it's a beautiful text. I mean, we all want to be Zacchaeus who's like up in the tree and God sees him and says, hey, you, I don't care what's in your past. Come down, I want to hang out with you. So he entered Jericho and was passing through and there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. That's somebody who... He doesn't have a few enemies in Jericho. That means every single person in Jericho hates him because he has at least tried to extort everybody in the town. Some people he couldn't get it from, but he's tried to extort from everyone. It's not just like the people next to him don't like him. Everybody despises him. He is totally alone. He was a chief tax collector and rich because he has their money. That's how he got rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not under the count of the crowd because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for I must stay at your house today. This is the part we love. ha." Oh. Mercy, forgiveness, reset button, start all over, begin again, more, Lord. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Hold on to this verse. And when they saw it, they all murmured, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded Anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's just stay with this theme for a couple of minutes. Let's look at a couple other passages, just so we can see again God's delight and eagerness and desire to pour out mercy. We could look, just like we did last night as we were looking at family, at a multitude of texts. But let's just look at a few. Psalm 103, verses 8 to 14. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor requite us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Isaiah chapter 1, we had this this morning at Mass. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And then this wonderful invitation from God to us. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. There's still some of us here who haven't been in confession in years. That's Jesus speaking to us right now. Come, let me do this. Then a passage at the end of the prophet Micah, which has always been a favorite of mine, Micah chapter 7. Who is a God like thee, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion upon us, He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Thou wilt cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as thou hast sworn to our fathers from the days of old. We're just trying to immerse ourselves in the reality that God loves to forgive us. That's the point right now. St. Paul to the Ephesians in chapter 2. And you he made alive when you were dead, "...through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's the evil one, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among these we all once lived, not some of us, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of body and mind, and so we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind." But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Just a quick fly through of some of many different passages we could look at. All culminating in these words that Jesus says from the cross in Luke chapter 23 about you and me. Father forgive them for they know not what they do. Those of you who pray the Liturgy of the Hours, you might have come across this last week. It's an extraordinary reading from a man named St. Alred, who's got this uh, tremendous exhortation on these words that Jesus speaks from the cross. Let's just hear what it is that he says about these words that we are so familiar with, perhaps alarmingly too familiar with. He who is more fair than all the sons of men, i.e. Jesus, offered his fair face to be spat upon by sinful men, he allowed those eyes that rule the universe to be blindfolded by wicked men. He bared his back to the scourges. He submitted that head which strikes terror and principalities and powers to the sharpness of the thorns. He gave himself up to be mocked and reviled and at the end endured the cross, the nails, the lance, the gall, the vinegar, remaining always gentle, meek, and full of peace." In short, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb before the shearers, he kept silent and did not open his mouth. Who could listen to that wonderful prayer so full of warmth, of love, of unshakable serenity? Father, forgive them and hesitate to embrace his enemies with overflowing love. Father, he says, forgive them. Forgive Carl. Forgive Faith. Forgive Joe. Forgive John forgive Adam, is any gentleness, any love lacking in this prayer? Yet he put into it something more. It was not enough to pray for them. He wanted also to make excuses for them. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. They are great sinners, yes, but they have little judgment. Therefore, Father, forgive them. They are nailing me to the cross, but they do not know who it is that they are nailing to the cross. If they had known, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Therefore, Father, forgive them. They think it is a lawbreaker, an imposter, claiming to be God, a seducer of the people. I have hidden my face from them, and they do not recognize my glory. Therefore, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Such is God's extraordinary mercy for us. But Jesus will go on to tell us that as we have freely received, so we must freely give. Or in another translation, you received without paying, give without paying. What I have done, if you would be mine, if you would really be my disciple, if you would follow me, you must do. So let's go back to Luke for a second. This is all of Jericho that's in the all here. They all murmured. You have got to be kidding. Out of all the people in Jericho, you're going to his house? You know what it's like to walk into a place and to feel like you are not welcome? I'd like to walk into this church right now and to know that every single eye is staring at you. And not with kindness. That's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. What do you think it's like for Zacchaeus after Jesus leaves Jericho? Because he is reviled, people. They can't stand him. And now the challenge is put to them by the Lord as to whether or not, even as Jesus has shown him mercy, whether or not they're willing to do the same. So the opportunity tonight is really a chance for us just to reflect upon the state of our own homes. This title is Salvation Has Come to Our House. So maybe the question is, has it really? Has salvation really come to our hearts? How do I know? I know to the degree to which I will forgive. I think that's how I know. Big deal, you love those who love you. Isn't that nice? Tax collectors and sinners do that, people. Jesus says, you want to be like me? Love the people who hate you. You really want to be like me? Make excuses for them. I walk into that confessional or wherever it is that I go to confession, St. Bonaventure's, and I'm praying that the confessor down there knows that I know I'm really sorry. I'm begging the Lord to know that there were extenuating circumstances. And yet somebody does wrong to me. And I'm like this, you got to be kidding again, again, how dare you? We run to the Lord with utmost confidence and people run to us and we close our arms all too often, unfortunately. So will we do for others what we so desperately want Jesus to do for us? And will we let him use us as vessels of mercy and be the means by which signs of faith that do not require faith will be visible to people? Let's look at a a couple of texts that Jesus speaks to us about and some of his disciples. You have heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not kill, and whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool shall be liable to the hell of fire. And people think, that we come to church to feel good. Give me a break. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Wouldn't it be something if we were at Mass on Sunday and you walked in and you were sitting over here and as you sat down here you realized there was somebody over there that you couldn't stand, who'd hurt you? who well, you had a grudge against, or you know they had a grudge against you, and at the time of the offering of peace, we didn't just do a, hey, hey peace be with you, peace be you. You actually got up, and you walked all the way across the church. Who cares if it took 20 minutes? Wouldn't this be extraordinary? If we got up from the pews and walked around to each other and gave each other an embrace? Wouldn't that be overwhelming? That's what the sign of peace is supposed to be about. Not about a fist bump for the person next to you who you love an opportunity for us as we get ready to go up to the altar and to feast on the one who cries out from the cross, Father, forgive, to get up and go to the person who we know we're not right with and say, peace, as Jesus has forgiven me, I forgive you. Will you forgive me? You don't think people would be talking about that? That's what he says to do. In fact, we're going to see a quote from the catechism. If we don't do that, what we're doing up here is a sham, And a pretense and a ruse. A little bit later in Matthew. This is too familiar, right? Pray then like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. AS. All caps, underlined, bold, 32 point. AS. We. Also have forgiven our debtors. Some of us should not pray this prayer. Really, some of us should not pray this prayer. I know a woman who didn't pray this prayer for years because she couldn't pray it with integrity because she didn't want God to forgive her the way she was forgiving because she was not forgiving and she knew it. And so she couldn't possibly say to God, I want you to treat me the way I'm treating him. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It gets worse. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses, which means what? It means hell, people. What's at stake in forgiving or not forgiving? Remember that person in your mind? The person who hurt you? that you're bitter towards, that you got a grudge against, who's wronged you, who's slandered you, who's said things about you, who's done whatever they've done to you. If you and I do not forgive them, then we do not want to hear what God will say to us. There are no mitigating circumstances here. Jesus never waters this down. Let's keep going. St. Paul in the letter to the Colossians, put on then as God's chosen ones. This is an awesome passage to clip out and put on the bathroom mirror. It's written as if it's Paul giving instructions as to how to clothe yourself in the morning. It's like take off these things. That's what's happening in the verses before this and put on these things. So put on, it's like putting on your shirt and your sweater and your gloves and your mittens and your parka for tomorrow. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved compassion Kindness, lowliness, meekness, patience, forbearing one another. And if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Let's keep going. This is just laughable, right? Bless those who persecute you. You got to be out of your mind. Who is this? Bless the people who persecute you? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. You want to get even with people? Offer mass for them. That's what I do. When you upset me, I offer mass for you. (laughs) When I hear things, I offer mass. I remember being in a chapel 15 years ago, something close to that. And I was just angry as all get out with somebody who was a very high-ranking official in the church. I was bitter as could be. And I felt like the Lord said to me, you are this close to being locked forever in bitterness. What are you going to do about it? And I was, I knew I was. And every time I see this man or I think of this man, I have to beg God for the grace to forgive him. Because in my flesh, I cannot stand him because of what he did to me. And then the Lord said, you really want to get even with him? Pray for him. Put him on the altar. Offer mass for him. Ask me to bless him. (sighs) So I do. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil. Think of that about speech. Take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And then we get to this. And this is the strongest parable Jesus talks about forgiveness. This is a frightening parable, I think. But it lays out not only what it is that Jesus has done for us, it lays out what it is that we must do or else and the lord because he's the best of teachers he tells us in advance what it will be like on that day when he comes back for us and on that day i will have to render an account and so will you and on that day it will be obvious as to whether or not i have forgiven or i have not forgiven because i cannot hide it from god so peter comes to him and says lord how often shall my brother sin against me and i forgive him as many as seven times, it's the kind of biblical number for fullness, you know? So Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. That means stop counting. Stop counting how many times your wife annoys you. Stop counting how many times your husband does something that offends you. Stop counting how many times your neighbor, the person at work, whoever it is, does something that hurts. Stop counting. Don't keep score. You're not allowed as a Christian to keep score. I'm not allowed as a Christian to keep score. I can't do it. If I keep score, God keeps score. If God keeps score, I'm damned. And so are you. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So Jesus is trying to help us understand what he's done for us and what it is that we must do for each other. So he tells this parable. It's not an allegory. It's not as if everything matches up perfectly because the king here does some things that are a little different from the Lord, but he's trying to help us understand using numbers. This is not how it's read at Mass on Sunday, but this is how it's more literally read, translated into English. So the first one's brought to him. This is you and me. We're brought to him and we owed him in our translation on Sunday. It gets translated a huge amount. Which, if you're 10 years old, that's two bucks, right? I mean, what's a huge amount? You make six figures a year, a huge amount is one thing. You make $18,000 a year, a huge amount is another thing. He doesn't owe him a huge amount. He owes him 10,000 talents. What's a talent? 10,000 is the largest number that the people of Israel use. It's it's a myriad. It's the highest number for counting. A talent is the largest monetary unit. In comparison to that, there's what's called a denarius, which is the daily wage, so one talent, alright, here's the math part of it. One talent equals 6,000 denarii. One talent equals 6,000 days' pay. 10,000 talents equals, pull out your calculator, 60 million days' wages. 164,000 years. This is not a huge amount. This is an insane amount, right? This is an impossible amount. This is what you and I owe God. For one sin. Forget the litany of sins that I have in my life. One sin. That's what I owe God. Which is to say, I cannot possibly on my own get right with God. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, by grace we have been saved. There's nothing I can do to get right with God. Zero, zip, zilch, nothing. The only way I can get right with God is by Him doing that. But I didn't know that. We don't know that. We forget that. We take it for granted. We just think God's supposed to forgive. That's what he's there for. And so we presume over and over and over and over again. And as the man could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made, because that's how they used to punish people who couldn't pay up for their debts. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him, Lord, have patience and I will pay you everything. How? How are you going to pay that back? From the time from Jesus till now, that would still give us 162,000 years left to work every day to pay it back. You're not paying this back. But look at the master's response. Out of pity for him, the Lord of the servant forgave the debt. He didn't say, okay, I'll give you time. He just said this. He says, you know what? Ah, Just the heck with it. Let's just rip it up. Let's just call it even. This is unimaginable mercy, people. Let's just forget the whole thing. The same servant as he went out came upon one of his fellow servants. That is to say, somebody who has wronged me. This is not to minimize what you and I have been wronged by any means. I'm pretty open about my past and how I was abused sexually and whatnot. And there's a lot of other things that were done to me. And there's a lot of things that I've done to other people too. This is not to say that those things are insignificant. It's just to say that in comparison to what I owed God, they're nothing. It's not that they're nothing. They're nothing in comparison to what it is that I've done to God. This is the person whose face is in my mind right now, who I just saw again last week, who I'm struggling with, who hurt me. He owes me a hundred days pay, three months pay. And he comes up and says, or I come to him and say, pay me what you owe me. You lousy, no good, worthless, whatever. And so his servant does the exact same thing that I did to God fell down, Asked him, have patience with me and I will pay you, which is possible. It's three months for crying out loud. But he refused and went and put him in prison till he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you besought me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord delivered him to the jailers till he should pay all his debt. You got your Bible with you, underline this line. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I love this painting. It's Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. I've knelt before that image countless times in my life. I imagine myself kneeling before my dad, asking his blessing and mercy and his hands on me, but even more so kneeling before the Father in heaven after all the many times I've run away from home and squandered his inheritance and asked him to take me back. It's a wondrously intimate image of repentance and forgiveness. We forget oftentimes why Jesus tells this parable. He tells this parable to people who are angry over the fact that Jesus is being merciful. And the parable does not end. It's unique that way. It's left hanging. It's left hanging because of the figure of the man on the right who's just standing there. That's the person that the parable is told to. That's the older brother who won't even identify his brother as his brother. He identifies him as that son of yours. And he will not forgive Even though he didn't wrong him, he wronged his dad. He will not forgive. He's standing outside and the father goes out to him and begs him to come back in. And there's no conclusion to the parable. It just ends. And it just ends because that's Jesus's way of asking the question to the people who posed the question at the time and posing it to us now. What will we do? Will we come in? Will we rejoice over the fact that God has forgiven those who have hurt us? Will we rejoice over the fact that God has forgiven those who have hurt us? See, we're all giddy over the fact that Jesus looks at us and goes, I want to stay at your house today. But when he says that to the person who abused me, I'm thinking, what? No, 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 you you, you can't, you can't go there. Don't you know what he did? And the Lord looks and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're all for the mercy I want to give you. And I delight in showing it to you. I want to delight in showing it to him. You've got to let me show it to him. And you not only have to let me show it to him, you have to delight in my showing it to him. Or else you can't be my disciple. The catechism is a wondrous section on this uh, command of Jesus in the Our Father that we ask the Father to forgive us as we forgive. This is starting in paragraph 2838. This petition is astonishing if it consisted only of the first phrase, and forgive us our trespasses, it might have been included implicitly in the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, since Christ sacrifices that sins may be forgiven. But according to the second phrase, our petition will not be heard unless we have first met a strict requirement. Our petition looks to the future, but our response must come first, for the two parts are joined by the single word, as... With bold confidence, we began praying to our father and begging him that his name be hallowed. We were in fact asking him that we ourselves might be always made more holy, but though we are clothed with a baptismal garment, we do not cease to sin, to turn away from God. Now in this new petition, we return to him like the prodigal son and like the tax collector recognize that we are sinners before him. Our petition begins with a confession of our wretchedness and his mercy. Our hope is firm because in his son we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We find the efficacious and undoubted sign of his forgiveness in the sacraments of his church. Now, and this is daunting, this outpouring of mercy cannot penetrate our hearts as long as we have not forgiven those who have trespassed against us. Love, like the body of Christ, is indivisible. We cannot love the God we cannot see If we do not love the brother or sister, we do see the person who's in my mind right now and yours. In refusing to forgive our brothers and sisters, our hearts are closed and their hardness makes them impervious to the Father's merciful love. But in confessing our sins, our hearts are open to his grace. This petition is so important that it's the only one to which the Lord returns and which he develops explicitly in the Sermon on the Mount. This crucial requirement of the covenant mystery is impossible for man. That's so true. This is impossible to do, people. But with God, all things are possible. This as is not unique in Jesus' teaching. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. How did he love me from the cross? He didn't just ask Father, forgive He made excuses for me, that you also love one another. It's impossible to keep the Lord's commandment by imitating the divine model from outside. There has to be a vital participation coming from the depths of the heart. In the holiness and the mercy and the love of our God, only the spirit by whom we live can make ours the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Then the unity of forgiveness becomes possible and we find ourselves forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us. Thus the Lord's words on forgiveness. The love that loves to the end become a living reality. The parable of the merciless servant which crowns the Lord's teaching on ecclesial communion ends with these words so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It is there, in fact, in the depths of the heart that everything is bound and loosed. It's not in our powers to feel, not to feel, or to forget an offense. Forgiving has nothing to do with how I feel. We know that. We hear all the time, forgive and forget. Good luck, it's never going to happen. God does that. I don't. You don't. So what? Every time we remember... Another chance to forgive. That's what it is. Forgiveness is an act of my will. That's what it is. It's not an emotion. It's a will, just like love. Love's not an emotion. It's a will. It's an act of my will. People come into confession all the time. They acknowledge so-and-so keeps coming to mind, and I feel that because of this, it means I haven't forgiven. That doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. It just means you haven't forgot. Don't be troubled by that. Just when you remember, forgive again. Every time we forgive, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. The heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit turns injury into compassion and purifies the memory in transforming the hurt into intercession. Christian prayer extends to the forgiveness of enemies, transfiguring the disciple by configuring him to his master. Alpha starts tonight. What is the omega? What's the end? What's God's desire for you and me? Holiness. That's the end. To be saints. That's the end. How do I become one? I'm configured to Jesus. What does that most mean? I forgive. That's what it most means. Forgiveness is a high point of Christian prayer. Only hearts attuned to God's compassion can receive the gift of prayer. Want to know why you might be struggling with prayer? Because you might not have forgiven. That's what the catechism is saying to us. Why don't I hear God? Why can't I sit with the Lord? Well, maybe because the Lord's pounding. He's not tapping on my shoulder. He's pounding on my head going, hey, You gotta get right with so and so. That doesn't mean we're gonna go out, go bowling together. But it means that I gotta let go of the hatred in my heart. I gotta be at least willing to say to the Lord, Lord, this person doesn't owe me anything anymore. I forgive him. I release him. I'm done. Forgiveness also bears witness that in our world, love is stronger than sin. That's why it's a sign of faith that doesn't require faith. I have right here a relic of Maximilian Colby. Those of you who don't know Colby, Colby dies in Auschwitz in a starvation bunker taking the place of another man. He says to the Franciscan brothers as they're being arrested, led into Auschwitz, and everybody knows Colby in Poland. Everybody knows Colby. He's not some obscure little priest who's brought to a concentration camp. This is kind of like, for those of us who are old enough to remember Fulton Sheen, this is like Fulton Sheen gets sent to Auschwitz. Everybody in Poland knows Colby. And everybody in Auschwitz is going, oh my gosh, look who's here. And as Colby walks in, he says to all the men that he was arrested with, brothers, forget not love. As they walk into a concentration camp, they're going to hate us. They're going to mock us. They're going to spit on us. They're going to torture us. They're going to kill us. Don't let them make you hate. Don't give them that kind of power. They don't have that kind of power. Only you can do that. Love them. Always love them. No matter what they do to you, love them. And so Colby did. This man proves this is possible. This is no pie-in-the-sky dream. This is possible. We can do this by God's grace. The martyrs of yesterday and today bear this witness to Jesus. Forgiveness is the fundamental condition of the reconciliation of the children of God with their father and of men with one another. There is no limit or measure to this essentially divine forgiveness. When one speaks of sins as in Luke, debts as in Matthew, we are always debtors Oh, no one anything except to love one another. The communion of the Holy Trinity is the source and criterion of truth in every relationship. It's lived out in prayer and above all in the Eucharist. And then comes this quote at the end of this section on the catechism, back to what we do here at Mass every Sunday. God does not accept the sacrifice of a sower of disunion. He commands that he depart from the altar so that he may first be reconciled with his brother. For God can be appeased only by prayers that make peace. I can't stand here asking God to bless me and to have hatred in my heart towards somebody, let alone somebody who's here in this church. To God, the better offering is peace, brotherly concord, and a people made one in the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What do you think God's agenda is for your life in this year of mercy? What do you think he wants you and me to do in these days? If this isn't just to be some, you know, year that's got a title and a banner on a church bulletin, then it means you and I are going to be doing something in these days. Those of us who haven't experienced his mercy, we're going to come down from the tree, we're going to run into the confessional, and we're going to get washed clean. Those of us who have, who've been restored, who've heard Jesus say, today salvation has come to this house. If we're going to be real, if we're going to do what it is that the Lord wants us to do, it's going to mean he's going to let us, or we're going to let him use us to take us places, to bring the mercy that we've received to concrete people who have hurt us. So maybe the question for us to go home and to pray with and to think about in the days ahead is simply, what, Lord, do I need to do right now? for whoever that person's face is that I saw when I closed my eyes maybe I need to pick up the phone maybe I need to write a letter maybe I need to go get coffee maybe I can't do any of those things maybe it just starts by simply saying Lord I'm going to offer mass for her or for him this coming Sunday and then for every day after that when I come because I am not allowed to hate as a disciple I'm not allowed to be vengeful I'm not allowed to be bitter. I am not allowed to keep score. I am not allowed to not forgive. I can't be like that. And if we become a community where we actually get up and we walk to each other and we extend the gesture of forgiveness, if we become a town in which we do that, people will hear about it, which means God will be praised and they will know that He is real because it'll be a sign of faith that doesn't require faith. That would be a most fruitful year of mercy. Anything less would just be a tagline. And God's agenda is not a tagline. God's agenda is a world brought back to him. So let's pray. Lord, as we look at you affixed to the cross, there out of love for us, they're eager to extend your mercy, eager to pour out your grace and salvation your forgiveness, eager to allow us to begin again, to be washed clean, to be set back on our feet. We first give you great praise and thanks that we're still alive, and not just alive but called friends, and not just friends but sons and daughters. Father, especially in these days of Lent as we continue to gaze upon the cross with clearer and sharper focus, we pray for the gift of your spirit to enlighten our understanding so that we would know that it was for us that you died, that we don't deserve that, that it is a gift beyond all imagination, that we were hopeless, lost, doomed, damned, beyond being able to be saved on our own. But you, out of your unfathomable love, because you are rich in mercy, have done what you have done. Father, we, do not, we cannot understand this the way we should we so easily take for granted our salvation. We think everybody's going to heaven. We trivialize our sin, our disobedience, our rebellion, our slights against you and one another. And so we ask in these days for the grace to understand more profoundly what it is that it cost you, namely your life and every drop of blood in your body and that you did it out of love. But Father, as we do that, as we gaze upon your Son, as we more profoundly understand what it is he's done for us. We're mindful that you send us to go extend the same mercy to others. Lord, all of us have been wronged. Some of us have been wronged in ways that no one knows except you. Father, there is not a person here who hasn't been hurt by the words of another, the actions of another, and yet you command us to forgive as we have been forgiven. And so we ask, Father, tonight for those of us who need to be reconciled with whoever it is we need to be reconciled, that you would move us, inspire us, drown us with your spirit so that we might be able to do that. Lord, we pray for the grace to be able to loosen the hold that we have on these people, to be able to set them free, to be able to say at least to you, Father, we forgive them as you have forgiven us in Jesus. Lord, we want the mercy and the peace that we have experienced to be experienced by others and especially by others who are most in need and especially by others who have wronged us lord we cannot do this on our own but we know that you want us to do it and so we know that you enable us by your grace by the gift of your spirit who dwells within us by your precious blood which we drink at least every week and some of us every day that you give us new hearts hearts that cry out father forgive they don't know what they do Lord, ours is a world that's broken and lost. There is no hope aside from forgiveness. So let us be vessels of forgiveness and be instruments in your hand to change the world. And let it start here in this parish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: This has been Christ's the Answer program number 875. For a CD of this or any of our programs, Go to AveMariaRadio.net and click on store or order by leaving a voicemail at 734-930-4506. 734-930-4506 for program number 875. 2016 Mission number 3. Father John Ricardo is a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit and is currently the executive director of a nonprofit organization called Acts 29, which exists to work with pastors and their teams to transform their parish culture and reclaim the church's missionary identity. He was ordained in 1996. Christ is the Answer was originally recorded and edited by Henry Root and is a production of AveMariaRadio.net. Tune in next time when Father John Ricardo addresses a topic of Christian concern from the Catholic perspective. This is Ave Maria Radio.